You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. G'day, dear friends, for a special Inverse episode. Um, Drew and I have our mate, John O'Martin, known to those in North America as Jonathan Martin, um, uh, with us. And uh, look, maybe we need to confess at the outset that we're uh, aware of, um, uh, you know, the assassinations in Afghanistan. We're aware of uh, Bobby Wine under house arrest in Uganda. Um, uh, the reality of what's happening in Sudan and Argentina. There, there is other news in, in the world. And yet, regardless of where we are in those 194 nations uh, around this little blue planet that by grace um, still has uh, a way today, um, there's no escaping America and its politics. So today um, we're going to um, spend time uh, talking about um, the reality of um, uh, the the end of the one that shall not be named for <laughs> the Harry Potter fans, <laughs> the, the Voldemort that which is no longer. But you know what's interesting? I mean, I, I'm already getting sidetracked, and I've barely introduced anything. But it, it is only Harry Potter that actually can name Voldemort. I mean, there's a sermon in that. There, there's a, so um, it, it's the end of, of Trump, and there is. Um, a, a new era, but uh, w- what does it mean uh, to actually think critically about um, uh, Christian nationalism, American politics, what it is to be faithful to love? And uh, some of us heard Rev Barber's uh, sermon, uh, which was phenomenal, drawing on his favorite text that um, uh, his organization or one of his organizations, Repairers of the Breach, um, uh, draw its name from. And so, Drew, as a way of grounding this conversation um, in both all the things that we need to um, uh, lament and rejoice in, and Rev Barber had this great line where he talks about, we need to find joy in the morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, the joy in the morning. Um, Maybe you could lift up um, Isaiah 58. I'll lift up a little bit of King. And then we're going to talk some about the significance of um, this moment and what it is to be faithful, um, uh, critical, compassionate, um, and Christ-centered uh, as we um, agitate for that kind of good trouble. All right, that sounds good. Well, I'm going to open up the word here. I got Isaiah 58. I think I'm going to start at verse 3. And it says, why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice. Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush bulrush, and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast? a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly 
Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. I think I'll jump down to verse 13. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day. Actually, I should, let me go back to 12. I think 12 is important because that's for, for Reverend Barber. I shouldn't skip that. I don't know what I was thinking. Your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath the delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And we would say, growing up in my black church, we would say, may God add a blessing to the hearing and doing of the word. Mm, hearing and doing, not just reading, but hearing and doing. That's good, Drew. Well, maybe we'll start. I'm going to sit on King for a bit because you, you can't just brush past the prophet Isaiah. So let's let's sit with that um, for, for just a bit. I'm interested to hear from you uh, both your reactions, um, this moment and what it means for uh both of you um, native sons of uh, the, the land in whom's politics we're discussing. Go ahead, Drew. Oh, me first, me first. Um, what this moment means for me? Um, I mean, so, I mean, I feel like we, we, you were saying, you know, we didn't want to jump to anything too far. So I'll say it was, it was, double feeling simultaneously, but, but I won't lie, like the sense of relief was very real. Um, I took a inhale and there was a, you know, like sometimes you feel a little tight and then like you begin to like loosen up. I, there's no question, like even just like seeing like a new administration, I don't care if they're neoliberal moderates, it don't matter. I felt a certain sense of relief. There was some breathing, some easiness, um, that went along with that moment, some kind of like, like, whew, like we're taking some strides towards being a little bit more of a humane society, right? Um, I felt that in my course. I think that that was pretty significant for me. Mm. Brother Jono. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was actually, um, I couldn't believe just how palpable that sense of relief really was. I mean, I think part of what, and this is what always makes this Difficult, and I know we'll get into some of the nuances more as we go. But I feel like you know, um, one of the things that um, the administration, the one that shall not be named, um, <laughs> actually kind of seem to be successful at doing is framing some of these things that really are issues of just overt white supremacy. An administration that within the first few months, this is so underreported, first few months. Um, defunded, well, first of all, stop categorizing 
white supremacist terrorist terrorism and defunded the study of those groups um leaving in our country us incredibly vulnerable and fr and from that to having ideologues like steve bannon and stephen miller who are the architects really um of the white supremacist policies of the administration uh to uh, the insurrections, the, the riot uh, a couple weeks ago to pardoning Steve Bannon, Goodness. you know, the night before. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, it's so often framed still. People use language of conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat. This has been four years of overt front door white supremacy. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong <laughs> with having a deep, with having that deep side, that deep exhale. Um, and like any sense of, uh, of at all semblance of, of civility and, and respect and, uh, you know, human dignity, just feeling any of that. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were tears yesterday mm -hmm. and not again, not because I thought, you know, oh, wow, the kingdom of God is inaugurated here or my side <laughs> one or any of those things. But I think it has been a reign of, a reign of terror in so many ways uh, in the mm -hmm. last four years. Um, for a whole lot of people that I care about. So yeah, there was that really, really just, just deep exhale yesterday. Mm. Yeah, I, I cried as well. Like, uh, I mean, Kat will tell you I'm a crier. Like I, I cry in Will Ferrell's Elf movie. So like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm subject to a, um, uh, you know, a, a softness of heart before the Holy Spirit, hopefully, or another framing is I'm just a big wuss. Like that's, that's what happened. But there was, and it wasn't, um, uh, I didn't even know why, other than a sense of relief. I don't know if you saw our friend BZ's tweet afterwards and um, uh, he, he just wrote, um, uh, was it Big Sigh or something? Father Ken's on with us. Like um, it, it was Big Sigh or something like that afterwards, like um, exhale or just the ability to, to breathe out. Um, uh, I, I might ask, um, we, we've got a, a live audience with us and I, I won't pick on um, people who uh, are new, but I would love to um, maybe just get some responses from um, some other people. Our sister Carla Mendoza, um, I don't know if you feel comfortable, but I, I would love to hear um, what yesterday meant for you um, and if you feel comfortable uh, like naming your situation and um, how, how you received it given your context. Hi, yeah, absolutely. Um, hi everyone, I miss all of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so a little bit about me, my name is Carla. I am currently um, in the land of the Miami people in Turtle Island in the Great Lakes area. Um, but I am originally from Peru and I have been undocumented for the last 19 years. I am currently a DACA recipient and um, I don't think I, I have the words still to describe what um, the last four years have been because it was um, a reign of terror and trauma and pain mm. and loss. Um, and at the same time yesterday, um, the first thing I did was I was going to dress up, you know, and say like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch the decoration. And then I said, oh, no, I'm going to stay in my PJs because I can actually relax for one day, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I think it was just that sense of 
um, I took the time to make breakfast and just kind of sit and, um, and process. And I don't know that I fully have processed everything, but just feeling that relief. Um, and I, the, I know the reason why I haven't cried is because I fear that if I start crying, I might not stop because I know that it will be a combination of relief and of letting go of so much pain uh, that I have carried for the last four years. And so, yeah, I think it's a mixture of joy and knowing that, um, I know y'all are gonna get into it, but um, you know, knowing that this isn't our salvation um, and at the same time knowing that um, there is hope, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks, Carla, really yeah. appreciate that. Um, I I'm wondering, um, our sister Anastasia in Brooklyn, um, uh, I'm not sure if you're, you're listening in while riding a bike or something and you can't, oh, there you are. Hey, dear sister, how are you? Um, we'd love to hear and just give our listeners some context of, um, uh, so going from Carla's context to a very different part of America, um, B-Town, uh, we won't discuss basketball um, and we'll just keep the subject to uh, um, the realities of the inauguration. What, what did it mean for you? <laughs> so I'm Anastasia. Um, I live in Brooklyn, New York, on the lands of the Muncie, Lenape, and Canarsie people. <sighs> Goodness. Um, these have been four very difficult years. Um, so even though I am a Native American, well, not Native, but as in, I was born here in America, but I was born in an immigrant family. Mm. So both of my family, both of my parents and also both of my siblings, um, they were all born and raised in Barbados. And the last four years seeing just so much xenophobia, so much just cruelty um, towards people who aren't um, from this land, it, it just broke my heart. And there was just so much um, heartlessness, honestly. So yesterday, as I watched the inauguration, I honestly teared up many, many times um, even just thinking about the shift in the atmosphere and there's now someone who is bringing so much decency and respect back to the White House. Um, I'm thankful, but I'm also still feeling the tension in my body and still feeling just the residual trauma from these last four years, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you, I hear you. Um, Friends, before we move on, is there any others? I mean, we should, should have set this up before, should have given people a warning. Some, some people don't do, do well on the spot, but are, are there others who would like to share what it meant for them before we return to conversation with our brother, Jono? Hey, this isn't subversive seminary. We can't have these contemplative silences no, filling. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Brother DJ's mic's off. Hey, mate, how are you? <laughs> I'm well. How are you? Uh, it's good to see you. Yep, good to good, see you. Good to see you. Yeah, I wasn't. Um, it, it was a lot of surprise. I was surprised by uh, the joy that I actually felt. That was a surprise. Hmm. Uh, I I was happy when Obama got inaugurated and you know four years ago was so wild but but yesterday was so different um 
it was just, it was a surprising joy that hit me. But one of the most special parts was while I was at work and I'm watching uh, the inauguration um, just before Kamala Harris um, was, was, you know, uh, she did her oath or whatever. My daughter's teacher sent a text to my wife and I and said, um, it was a picture of my daughter and, and Vice President uh, Kamala on the screen as they were watching on Zoom. And, wow. and he said, uh, first of all, he was like, he brought attention to her face and he, to my daughter's face and her expression as she was watching this. And he said in the text that, you know, when I see your daughter, I see that she can really, she can do anything that she wants. Um, and, and what it meant to him personally to watch my daughter as she watched that moment. And I'm like, yeah, my daughter, actually, she can be vice president or even president someday. And mm. that was such a special moment for, you know, for me as a black man living in a suburb of an, an urban area and this white teacher looking at my black daughter, um, who was so moved by this moment. And I'm like, yeah, this is, uh. This is a shift that I wasn't expecting and a joy that I wasn't expecting. And so I'm mm. so grateful um, to have had that moment. Oh, thanks for sharing, DJ. That's, that's incredible. Um, Jono and Drew, I'm aware that um, part of uh, that joy um, it was not just symbolic, but even in terms of the rhetoric, we had a president that talked about white supremacy in the inauguration, that is, that is unprecedented. It's never been named like that before. Um, I'd love to hear from you both um, uh, about the impact of that. Um, and um, I guess in, in part to call on our sister, Lisa Sharon Harper, uh, Martin King's question of where do we go from here with that? Um, initial responses from either of you? I mean, I think for me, one of the things that, and maybe this is where my hope comes from, it's, it's in some ways it's a subversive grassroots kind of thing, but it's like, well, let's be honest, like Joe Biden in and of himself is not like the most, you know, conscious of the social reality. But I do think on the other hand, like he's someone that, um, can respond like he, he there's enough human decency that he can respond to moments he can learn to grow and i think like what that reminded me when i was even hearing some of those things coming out like during the inauguration was you know like here like this is our moment to push because he's willing yes. to be pushed he's willing yeah. to grow he needs that he needs some some stuff happening from below right to push him to be the better the best person he can be um, and so I think that that's one of the things like, like there's some opportunity here. And I think, I, I don't know, this not to go too far back in our history, but I think many progressive leaning folks and left leaning folks, maybe not left leaning as much as the progressives, uh, fail to do their part to push Obama to be his best self because they're mm -hmm. too happy with the moment. And I think that um, hearing some of these things just shows like, the movements, the activism, the organizing has done its work. Like the Black Lives Matter movement, that's that's why Joe Biden was doing that because of all the yeah. work happening on the ground. Um, and so I think it, for me, that's an encouragement. 
let's keep pushing in our neighborhoods. Let's keep pushing um, locally and prophetically and speaking truth to power and push him to be his best self and that he can actually grow in the, because I think there's enough, you need someone with at least some human decency um, to respond, that's right? right? Um, if yeah. you don't have that, I mean, that's why the last four years were in some ways very discouraging if you're trying to do national work um, mm-hmm. because there's just, there's no place for it. And so anyway, that's just one of the first things that come to my mind. Mm. And Brother Biden, if he's anything, he is decent. And how refreshing that is for a change. Jono? Yeah, you know, it... It, 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 you know, it feels like in some ways um, it shouldn't feel like such a big leap. It, I mean, it should, it should have happened so long before, but to hear, something about hearing that language in the inauguration, because I think if there's anything that's been so pronounced in the last four years, it's the power of language, the power of words. And I think part of what we've seen, you know, there really is no way to move forward where there's not a common language when people can't agree on what words mean and mm-hmm. are constantly trying to. So I think, I think there is something about the naming, you know, um, the way and not to get too preachy with it, but that, you know, even Jesus, there's sort of like <laughs> with the, the man with the legion of demons in Mark 5, what is your name? There's that name, mm-hmm. that yeah. naming. Before anything's going to be cast out, so mm-hmm. I thought there was. Call some- him Voldemort. Call him Voldemort. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so I think like, that's that's you know, going to be the text we're preaching on in this whole episode. <laughs> I, I think it works. I think it works. Uh, yes, something about that naming. Uh, I mean, I did feel a bit of a chill there um, because I think, especially when uh, the last four years um, with this weird nationalistic. Um, white neo-fascist evangelical christian thing um being again so that's always been there but being so overt and so kind of overground um i i just think there was something that just kind of that just seemed to kind of break open in mm-hmm. in that naming so um you know like drew was saying there's so much work to be done but i do love that idea that it gestures towards the amount of work that has been done and that uh, if there's anything I think uh, positive in terms of kind of a consensus we'd say about President Biden, I think he has been listening precisely because um, there has been a lot of pressure from activists on the ground and uh, the the kind of work that we've seen through Black Lives Matter, um, uh, through the, the really faithful kind of protests that we've seen in this season, those voices have been heard and they are being heard. So for me, that really was, a, you know, a, 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 just, a, just a pivotal moment. But I think in terms of like where we go from here, I think part of what I what I'm what I'm struck with, you know, is how much and I, I've tried to stay actually in the last just today in particular, uh, like decompressing a little bit after yesterday, like not quite as much noise and all that. But I'm just very aware, uh, you know, it's, it's that is as wonderful as that is to for that to be named, just how many people I think probably within all of our spheres are not sharing that kind of language. And, uh, and and that just how deeply spiritual this work is and how far we do have to go. And, you know, so I think it both, I think it's it's a win worth celebrating, but it does just again, kind of underwrite like, yeah, there's, there's a really long way to go because quite frankly, half of America is not gonna feel comfortable uh, using those words. And if they do use them, uh, then uh, they're not gonna feel comfortable using them in a way that could ever possibly implicate themselves or, 
you know, in a way that self-reflective <laughs> anyway, it's always going to be somebody else. And, you know, and so there's, there's, there's a lot of work yet to do. Yeah. And I appreciate that both of you, um, like Drew summed it up so well in terms of saying like, it's time to push. It's time to, and, and we tend to forget that, um, in Abraham Lincoln wasn't an abolitionist. <laughs> no, was not. Nor was JFK or Lyndon B. Johnson, right? That, that's right. I mean, we like, forget. We forget. Roosevelt wasn't a trade union organizer. Right. Um, uh, like uh, Lyndon Johnson wasn't a civil rights activist. No, and yet there, there was a, a, a decency that they were willing to listen and go on the journey, um, not to create hagiographies um, of the, these presidents. Um, but what they all share in common and, and what um, I'm praying in terms of Biden-Harris administration, it will be the kind of decency where they'll actually listen. Um, yeah. But we, we can't forget that the, the CIO, the, the, the biggest um, unionist drive in America's history, which was made up of two socialist parties and a communist party, is what led to the New Deal. And I know the New Deal um, was a deal for... Um, uh, white America and um, the realities of uh, all those people who were left out of that deal. But the, the reality um, of that kind of progress towards um, a, a more uh, just United States wasn't made because people organized and the importance of that history. And I think Barber's um, uh, sermon where he encouraged Biden and Harris to, to be repairers of the breach, um, to let that be their legacy, that there might be an opening here that we haven't seen previously. And instead of Wall Street, and yes, in terms of um, Biden's previous record and um, uh, where he started won't necessarily determine where he ends. If there continues to be the pressure and the encouragement, um, as you put, Drew, um, to, to be his best self, um, to, to be what he could be. And um, uh, let's not be naive, naive about that, but actually um, keep uh, working, pushing in that direction. Um, I want to ask you both in terms of being on the ground there. Um, Barber, uh, he, he referred to not just praying for politicians, but preachers. What does it look like for those who, whether they're behind a pulpit or just um, uh, seeking to be a disciple and let their sermons be their lives? What does it mean in America at the moment in terms of um, uh, to preach a word that actually mobilizes, to, to, to preach a word um, that, that connects the sanctuary to the streets? Um, would you speak a little bit in terms of both your callings, be it in, in the seminary um, or in the sanctuary, and what it means to, to call disciples um, uh, out of prayer closets um, into the streets and back to prayer closets to be prepared for the streets. So I think um, for me, in fact, so I'm, this is just because I was in a community meeting already where I was thinking about um, dreaming dangerous dreams, so to speak, right, as followers of Jesus. And so we were trying to, we were talking about, you know, abolition and as it relates to prison and policing and things like that. And, and I was trying to make the point in, in a group that, you know, the same thing that is working, the kind of prophetic imagination at work in Micah and Isaiah, right? As there's mm -hmm. calling for the swords to be turned into plowshares, that same uh, consciousness and awakening and 
dangerous dreaming, right, of God's dream for us is the same kind of thing that Jesus wants when he tells his, the parables of God's reign, right? Um, and when we have an imagination for that, and that this is where the discipleship is and formation is, if our preaching um, dares to dream big enough with God, right, to get mm-hmm. peaks of what God's dream is for us, it calls us out into the public square, right? It invites us, it, our, our prayer our prayer is enfleshed through our feet out in the public square. That's right. Um, and that there's no way to disconnect, right? There is no privatized faith. There is no me and Jesus, right? Um, but it's us in our community and God's dream for all of us, not just for the church, but God's dream for all of us. And I think Amen. that that is the, um, the kind of discipleship, the kind of teaching, the kind of preaching that is awakening people to God's dream. That We need that so desperately in our churches. We need that in our communities. We need that um, among our neighbors um, to dream dangerous dreams. And I think when we start having those status quo dreams, right, or prayers um, that, can, that can't imagine anything beyond what is, right, um, that's, which is, too often, certainly in the United States, that's just so often been American Christianity, just reaffirming the way things already are um, or lamenting, feeling bad about things, but again, not seeing us as the embodiments and the realization of what God desires as the, to make visible the Jesus story, right? For others in our communities. And so anyway, I think that um, our preaching, our teaching, our prayers holistically have to be intertwined in all of that work. Oh, that's so good, Drew. Um, I know I've thought a lot in the last few days, especially this week. Um, I've specifically thought a lot about uh, Richard Lisher's book, uh, Preacher King, Mark of the King, and the word that moved America, because I love that is the word that moves America. I love that. And, 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 and specifically the way that book locates, it's the preaching of King. Uh, it's that that's so rooted in the black church tradition, the God of the Exodus, Jesus. It's you just get none, none of that can be separated. Um, I think part of it, and it, you know, it's maybe revisit just passages from that book that's been meaningful to me. And I think part of what I'm just thinking about because I feel like every conversation I'm having with preachers right now, and I get this, I say this a lot of empathy. I think everybody's everybody's struggling to find their. To, to, to find the, the, the courage for one, and two, just in a climate that's polarized, you know, h- how do I talk about these, trying to find the right kind of language and all that. And I think part of what we see even in the story of King, it's like the ways that the, the power of a tradition to carry you, the power of the text to carry you, sometimes to use the language of Jesus to Peter, to carry you places that you would not choose to go. Um, yeah. I think for me as a preacher right now, there have been so many times that I've never felt more rudderless, but that's precisely why I'm trying to really anchor myself, uh, to allow myself to be led by text into some of those dangerous places that otherwise I would not, I wouldn't choose to go, uh, to let faithful tradition that I do trust 
and the people who have mediated that tradition to me faithfully, let them take me places, let them carry me places. When yeah. I don't know what to do, when I don't know what the word is like, okay, let's, let's consult with this great cloud of witnesses. <laughs> Other people ha have been here before. So that's right. Let's that's right. Say. And, and so I just think right now is really a moment for preachers in particular um, to really, to really root down and, and that's where, you know, right now, and I'm not saying like everybody needs to preach from the lectionary, but that is one of the things I love about the lectionary in that way is, you know, if it, the lectionary will, will lead you dangerous places if you're open. And that's part of the love. It's like, as I, I feel like that gives me the legitimate claim to say like, hey, I'm just delivering the mail here. <laughs> Here's what Micah said. I, mean, I didn't write, you know, but I just think, you know, when you're coming up with like a, you know, just we're going to do an, I don't know, an eight week, that's not that's all bad, but an eight week series on, I don't know, it's like the three C's of communication and the four hours of relationships and all this. <laughs> You're not going to get led places that you wouldn't otherwise choose to go. And I just think mm -hmm. right now is a time where preachers, uh, like we, we need to be carried by the text and by faithful tradition. Yeah, that's... It's so good and kind of sets up the transition. And I, I'm so glad um, in the jazz, in the improv, um, uh, we actually opened up a little bit to just hear what this moment meant to inverse listeners. And I really appreciated yeah. what Dennis and um, uh, Anastasia and uh, our dear sister Carla all, all shared um, in terms of what it meant for them. Because I don't want it, particularly as Australian, um, uh, I, I don't want to rush too quickly to, as we joked earlier, being the vegetarian at the barbecue, like I, I don't, <laughs> you know, this is a moment where not many people want to listen to Cornell West. Um, although Cornell West is a prophet crying out in the wilderness um, with a word that no one wants to hear. I, I don't know if you both caught him um, uh, talking about the reality of uh, seeing um, George W. Bush in the center of a shot with um, Obama um, to his left and um, uh, Clinton, um, as in uh, Bill, uh, to his right. And um, Corner West named it plainly uh, as I refuse to normalize crimes against humanity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is fearless. He is fearless in actually going, um, that there is so much in this moment that I think there is a pastoral temptation to bring people to some normalcy that never was, or a normalcy that came at the cost of other people, a normalcy right. which actually survived on sacrifice, not mercy. And um, there's a danger that this moment, if we don't push, if we actually um, uh, go back to sleep, uh, instead of um, remaining awake in this great revolution, uh, to quote Brother Martin, um, uh, that we will miss that business as usual is actually what produced Trump. And if this is a return to business as usual, and I use the word business deliberately, like this yeah. has got everything to do with the fact that $2 trillion was made by 5% of the American population during a pandemic where not since the Great Depression has um, poverty, unemployment been such a reality for the masses of America. And there's that kind of money being made by some. And if we return to business as usual, uh, people will continue to profit off the suffering and the poverty of others and what it is to be in the pulpit at this moment um, or, or seeking to be faithful to the crucified one generally in this moment is learn to speak a word where um, we can tell the truth humbly and invite people into, um, uh, you know, that push. 
uh, yeah. w- what it is. Um, so if you're both there, um, and some people might pause the podcast and go, you know what, I need a month or so. I'm, I'm just you uh, got to hop off. That's this is right. your I'm, moments. I'm, I'm still in my praise <laughs> dance, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to hear what um, Jono and, and Drew have to say about. Uh, you're, you're welcome to pause right now. That's this right. Is it. We'll, we'll, we'll see you in a. We'll see you in a little bit. Um, but what are the things that need to be said that the temptation is for us not to say in this moment? Yeah, uh, there's so much, right? Um, I mean, I think for me, yeah, <laughs> one of the things that, you know, I wrestle with is uh, on one hand is the significance of like, what is representation? What's the significance of representation? Powerful, right? Um, in mm-hmm. some sense. Uh, um, and I don't deny like the psychological you know, to see oneself, right? It's just, there's something powerful that happens in representation that we have to take very seriously. And on the other side, like I sometimes, I sure, like I, this is one of my takeaways that I, by the end of Obama's second term, I had kind of came to the point where I was like, I don't need someone that looks like me at the head of the empire. Mm. Like that, and I know that's controversial, maybe, Julie might have to, uh, you know, erase this to get keep me out of trouble. But I don't necessarily need someone that looks like me at the head of this empire, not as is, right? Um, not with the uh, war machine all around the world, not with the white supremacy, not with the, it's just, I don't necessarily need that. But I don't deny at the same time that representation also does have very real uh, psychological implications for people, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then to go one step further, to go beyond representation and say representation also is not liberation, right? And how Mm -hmm. do we go that other step to realize like, what does it mean um, when we have still the largest prison population (laughs) world history has ever known, right? We still have, as you always will remind me, right? Military Mm -hmm. bases on your continent and on every continent um, (laughs) spread all over the world with our fingers and hands and everything, right? Um, dominating and controlling, um, where it's not necessarily clear yet that even Joe Biden is necessarily going to, you know, curb back the militarism, right? There's no, there's no reason that's not has, that's not been a part of his campaigning or promises. So all of these things, I think, are stuff that I wrestle with. And so I think about empire and what does it mean? What is the significance of empire? Um, and Again, I'm, I am not one of those folks that are so naive to be like, oh, none of it matters. I do think it matters. Representation does matter, right? Um, and at the same time, that by itself is not enough if it's not going to be liberative work happening. Um, and so, you know, I'll, let, I'll, I'll put it out here on Front Street. Look, I've lived in majority Black cities most of my life um, with a lot of Black Democrats uh, and a lot of them are not doing liberation work, right? Some of them are just doing tweaking work. Um, yeah. And they, they're not dreaming big with, with their communities around the issues that are where people are disproportionately suffering most. And so I think there's some stuff that we want to go deeper on right now. Yeah, Drew, my goodness. That representation isn't liberation. And, and to bre- break down um, before 
uh, we give Jono a chance to answer the same question. Um, we're not talking about Obama as an individual. We're not talking about his decency. We're not talking about him as a dad. Uh, we're talking about um, what it is to be in that position and to choose to surround yourself with what has gone before, making um, what could be impossible by those decisions. And, and that is very real in terms of what Obama, um, a Biden faces now. There are many people from the Obama administration coming back. Is that a sign as business as usual or, or can they push for risk? I mean, after hearing our, our sister Carla um, talk about her reality, let's not forget that those closest um, uh, to Obama that were um, uh, working for immigration reform, um, they, they would call him uh, deporter in chief. Right. Uh, th that's the kind of realities that we're talking about. Um, again, our brother Cornell West um, said, uh, King said, I had a dream, uh, but Obama had a drone. Um, uh, military spending in increased um, uh, by um, an amount never seen before in American history. How do we be the kind of truth tellers that, um, and Jono, maybe this is the perfect segue because I think those of us um, who uh, uh, can merely identify as white instead of doing our work and, and um, re recovering our ancestors, uh, particularly if we're out of Pentecostal charismatic evangelical circles, we are addicted to symbols instead of substance. We want the feel good instead of actually do good. Um, uh, we want to uh, be told we're righteous instead of actually see righteousness as a social reality, um, uh, he healing our land. Um, I saw the bust of um, uh, um, Cesar Chavez in the president's and I was like, come on, we got a farm unionist nonviolent organizer like um, it, it, in the Oval Office. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. And I'm like, oh my God, is that, is that what it takes? And the, the temptation for all of us um, to so quickly have um, the, the appropriate signs of revolution, um, but none of its substance. Would you talk a little bit, what are the things that um, you can identify that is our danger not to name in this moment? You know, I, I'm, I'm so glad you pitched me this qu question, Jerry, because this thing that's really stirring in me right now, I'm just thinking so much about how, okay, so we hear and have heard this incendiary rhetoric and we see that and these tendencies towards fascism, we see that that's a fast track towards self-destruction and it's like, oh, we got to do something. Yes, got to do something about this. But it's interesting, isn't it, that when we think about if, not like you can summarize the prophets, but I think if there's one really one motif, one thread through all the prophets, always that you know, the prophets are never really so much criticizing the people of God for not getting the rhetoric right. It's almost that's that's almost never it. <laughs> always is. <laughs> Your language is fine. No, you worship me with your lips. Like the, the, the rhetoric's all right. The issue is not with the rhetoric. The, the issue is not with the language. The issue is with, is with, is with substance. The issue is with action. It's with behavior. That's what over and over again that the prophets are always calling out is that you're not living up to your vocation. You, you, know, you, you recite the law and, and the Psalms and you say your prayers and yet um, this isn't lived out. And for me, this is what's really dangerous about neoliberalism is there actually is quite an emphasis on getting the language right yes the rhetoric right Whoa. policing the language 
policing the rhetoric. Let's make sure everybody's using the right words. And words matter. Words are important. That's what we've seen. It's not that the words don't matter. But the trouble is, is that there, I feel like there can be so much emphasis on this kind of the kind of superficial linguistics of all of this. Mm -hmm. To where then everybody, <laughs> then there, 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 there's no... Um, no one goes any deeper in terms of any kind of self-reflection. Okay, so what are we actually doing with this? Oh, but we're but but we said we're in favor of justice. We're talking about justice. We're talking about equity and equality. Can't, can't we agree that these are all good things? Yeah, you know. And I, I really think that's the thing that's really dangerous about neoliberalism and why it's so often overpromises and underdelivers. Like there's not the kind of deep sustaining spiritual power there that you need for lasting community transformation, but Ooh. there is a lot of emphasis on getting the words right. Mm. That's good, that's mm. good, that's so good. Mm. That's right on points. I mean, cause I mean, you think in this moment, like, so white supremacy was named during the inauguration, but how many people are gonna, you know, be undone from white supremacy, right? To be unsettled, to be reformed, right? To find new ways of being in the world. That's hard work. That's yeah. groping and searching and struggling. And, you know, that's that's not, yeah, that's really a, a really helpful point, Jonathan. I think that if we don't go deeper um, to the core of who we are, I mean, that's really what it, it's, it's talking about, you know, it's it's fundamental about who we are as people um, mm -hmm. and the way that we live our lives, the way that we see others and are seen in the world and the way that we inter interact with others. Um, these are these are deep issues that that can be avoided with kind of shallow terminology and rhetoric. Yeah, that's good. If it was merely about representation, well, Moses was already in the courts of Pharaoh. Ooh. Right. I mean, we don't actually need Moses to, it's to over. like it, That's it. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if representation and liberation are the same thing, uh, Moses has arrived. Like, and the, the danger is instead of uh, encounters with the burning bush and uh, the, the call of what it is to join in God's business of, of letting people go, um, that we will so quickly celebrate. And it's not that it's not significance but um its it significance is that it has to be followed with substance yeah. and and that's the real danger and i think particularly ex-evangelicals those who have been traumatized um it, what it is to actually unearth um re repent and heal from um this desire to always be right instead of um confessing what's wrong um it'll always be how do we show that we're clean of this instead of how do we actually repent of what we're involved in? And I think that's a, maybe this is a great segue to, to actually lift up um, some of King's words and his analysis. Before you, of, before you do that, yeah, um, it, it made, you made me think when you're talking about Moses, I was like, you could say the same thing about Jesus. Like he got it wrong. Instead of confronting the, the temple and the establishment, he should have tried to get a seat in the Sanhedrin, right? That would have solved yeah. all the problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I mean, while this is so powerful and, um, you, you know, the, the vegetarians at the barbecue at the moment is very hard to um, stand in the prophetic black church tradition, to stand um, in Anabaptism at its best, um, to be an anarchist or a socialist in this um, uh, moment, um, because everybody's having parties and uh, uh, you're the person who, while everybody's on the dance floor to um, 
uh, blame it on the sunshine, blame it on the moonlight, blame it on the boogie. Um, you're going, well, should we really be playing music of a pedophile? Like, no one wants to hear that. Just dance to the music in this moment. Like, no one wants to hear that stuff uh, about just leave Michael Jackson's music is completely separate for him as a person. Like, this is an awkward moment for for many. And I think this is about how do we graciously, and I, I keep holding up Rev Barber because I think he is such a phenomenal example of this, as are so many of our friends who are actually a part of the prayer service. Um, our friend uh, Otis Moss III was there. Um, uh, um, uh, Jackie Lewis was there. Like, there's a whole bunch of... Uh, um, uh, friends and former guests on Inverse that were were present, and you could hear in what they were doing that um, they were critiquing Christian nationalism um, while in the context of where it is most easy to fall into it, be it a more progressive form <laughs> of Christian nationalism. And I think that's where the, the king of history might actually be helpful. Is this useful to read a, a, a little bit? Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. So um, this is in, in the original version of Where Do We Go From Here, which was um, the first edition is called what became the um, subtitle Chaos of Community. We're on page 77 and um, I, I will update the language. So our, our sisters are included and um, uh, we're talking about uh, realities of how we name, or how people name themselves in 2021 as well. But um, please listen for, um, there's been talk of white supremacy. Here's how King talks of white supremacy. Generally, we think of white supremacist views as having their origins in unlettered, underprivileged, poorer class whites. But the social obstructions who presided at the birth of racist views in our country were from the aristocracy. <laughs> Rich merchants, influential clergymen, people of medical science, historians and political scientists from some of the leading universities in our nation. With such a distinguished company of the elite working uh, to disseminate racist views, what was there um, to inspire poor, illiterate, unskilled white farmers to think otherwise? Soon the doctrine of white supremacy was embedded in every textbook and preached in practically every pulpit. It became a structural part of the culture. And then people then embraced this philosophy, not as the rationalization of a lie, but as the expression of a final truth. Oof. In 1857, the system of slavery was given its ultimate legal support by the Supreme Court of the United States in the Dred Scott decision, which affirmed that the black person has no rights that the white person was bound to respect. The greatest blasphemy of the whole ugly process was that white people ended up making God their partner in the exploitation of black people. What greater heresy has religion known? Ethical Christianity vanished and the moral nerve of religion was atrophied. The terrible distortion sullied the essential nature of Christianity. Mm. I mean, there, there's the actual Martin King, not what we get served up on Martin Luther King Day. Um, I would love to hear you both respond um, to the atrophy of ethical Christianity and the reality that white supremacy is as much an economic reality as it is um, a, a hatred in the heart, which is where it's dangerous um, 
that talk of white supremacy has become so mainstream that it could mean nothing at all. What was that first part? You, uh, my brain started moving around. Uh, the the the, ath um, the atrophy of ethical Christianity. Oh yeah, yeah, ethical Christianity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I can go. Uh, I guess. Um, I mean, that's half. Of, I'm like a broken record. I, I talk about that all day, right? Um, I think that. I mean, that's. I mean, let's. So for me, it, I've always wanted to extend the what I call the Anabaptist historical arguments, which is. You know, you have, you know, the early church Christianity, Constantine and things, you know, church and state get embedded together and you got a problem. Um, but but I think that what black and indigenous folks here in this land and certainly other folks um, post-colonial um, and decolonizing Christianity has said globally is is that that's not the whole story, right? That you've mm -hmm. got to wrestle with what I called Columbusian Christianity, which is mm -hmm. this you know, this diseasing of Christianity that took place that that even deeper mangled the very identity uh, and significance of the faith. And I think that um, all of that, I mean, it's the, what's behind all that is the desire to plunder, right? It's, it's exploitation, yeah. it's greed, it's all of those things are the motives. And so, I mean, I remember the first time reading and learning about like all these enlightenment thinkers and the role that they're playing to, help situate the racial categorizing, right? To making, normalizing that through their scholarship, so to speak, right? Um, or um, the Ivy League um, presidents, right? And all the uh, scholarship and pseudoscience um, that was done um, to, to, so that people would take for granted race science, right? And, and racial ideas and biblical studies and theology, all supporting and bolstering um, white supremacy as we know it. And so they're doing all these things because there's a direct benefit to them. Um, and so I do think it's misdirecting to turn our attention so much to poor white folk. I think that's terrible. I, I do think that they've made a bad decision in siding with elite whites, but they're not the originators of this problem. They're not the start of it. Um, it is elite white. That's what frustrated me so much about Trump, right? I said his name. It's what frustrated me so much was um, the way in which he, at least supposedly, was trying to come off as the everyday guy and was related. He had his little red cap on, like he's a little trucker or something. Like, no, no, you are. It's clear everything that he's doing was for his own self-benefit. Every mm -hmm. single move was, right? Um, he just, he literally cut out the middleman and made himself president. So he's not, he doesn't have to like, you know, lobby to the president anymore or to his favorite politicians. He cut that person out and he tried to implement the policies that will benefit him directly. Um, and in some ways that unmasked what I think white supremacy has always been about, the heart and core of it has always been um, elite people at work who are then disseminating hegemonically um, their ideas to permeate, to sustain, and take so people take for granted um, white supremacy in the world. Mm. Drew, you should write some books or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think like Drew, as you're saying that, and even Jared, when you first reading the that King section, it just strikes me how, uh, and I hope I don't think this is getting away from the question, Jared. Um, that that first that what was that first phrase again about you know of, of 
around white supremacy. Let me open it up again. Generally, we think white supremacist uh, views having their origins in unlettered, underprivileged, poor caste whites. Well, I was looking for the other for phrase, but, but, but Christianity, right? Yes, yes, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, uh -huh. But but this but that but that section that's that for me is such a is so is such a present danger right now because I think it's really easy, especially um, for people who maybe are coming out of if you have a background with some kind of fundamentalism. It, I just still see a lot of this is getting framed as dumb and smart if, if mm. people are educated if they go to a good college if they go to a good seminary and what that that king quote you know illumines so powerfully this has just never been how it works and what i see and it what's it's what it, it's what gets me concerned sometimes about you know i think when we and i understand when people leave certain kind of faith spaces the kind of why there there's anger and all those kinds of things there's no judgment on any of that but i think sometimes if the idea is, okay, so now we're just kind of like listening to NPR and we're just kind of like consider ourselves to be like more enlightened, you know, that's really, and there's not like a depth of spirituality that's there. I just think that doesn't, that just really doesn't get to the heart of the work. And that, that you know, that's my concern again about this kind of, even talking about this kind of superficial naming of these realities that don't really implicate us on the deepest, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of in these deep layers. And that's, I think that's, that's part of my concern kind of in this moment is I think it can kind of easy, be easy to sort of frame some of these things as like, I don't know, like I, like, like I was, like I was dumb and now I'm smart and these people are dumb. And it's like, no, it's, 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 it's really not about dumb and smart here. And, uh, and to recognize how much within these power structures and edu educational systems as they've existed. How much, because you know, and hey, I'm, gr I'm uh, grateful that right now in academia in particular, that I feel like there's such a, uh, a desire to try to course correct. But even going, I mean, like our, our very recent history is so gross. If we think about kind of a lot of our Ivy League institutions and all these kinds of things. So the idea that just like we can somehow be, uh, that it's just some kind of intellectual enlightenment that's mm -hmm. going to get us past these issues like i, I just think j just misses everything because that's what yeah. got us in, the, in, a, in a lot of this trouble to begin with right all the yeah. again yeah. the enlightenment thinkers thought that they were rising above all this super silly religious stuff now we're real reasonable people right so now we can mm -hmm. see objectively um and now look as we see objectively we're going to categorize all of humanity europeans at the top africans at the bottom i mean it was that kind of um confidence right in one's own knowing um that was so dangerous and i think i mean there is a way in which can be scary but for us to acknowledge that we all only see in parts and that's some of the danger yeah. in our moments is that all of us only see in parts that um, we see pieces and glimpses it we're in the fog quite a bit um and then when you add to that that there are powerful people who can help shape your sense of reality, right? I mean, I was the other day, I'm going on and on recently about algorithms, right? I don't know why I'm just, I just can't <laughs> get locked away from just this, just the power of it. I mean, this is all of us, you go down a path and it is fed right back to you 50 times over, right? 
Um, this is powerful stuff. Um, yeah. And so there's powerful people who can deeply impact how we see and think and experience the world. Um, I think they said, I, I don't know if it's true, but that Fox News didn't even show the inauguration. Is that true? I, I think I heard that that they didn't show. Maybe I'm not sure if it Maybe that was just some... in that bad algorithm you were in. <laughs> it was just a bad algorithm, right? I could have got some feed, the anti-Fox News feed, right? I don't know. But I think I heard that, that they hadn't um, shown the inauguration, which if they didn't would be a first time and mind-blowing if that's true yeah my goodness but i one of the things that i deeply appreciate you've both named um which might be a surprise for for some people who don't join our deeper conversations because they're almost in-house conversations they're, they're conversations for those who are um on the deliverance journey um th those who are involved in liberative work um but Anytime you've got Nike and Apple and Google um, uh, um, uh, appearing to uh, champion um, a, a form of anti-racism, we need to ask how deep does that anti-racist anti analysis actually go? Like, um, and is, is that what we hope for um, churches that they go as deep as Apple? I mean, do, do we do we want um, Nike kind of like or, or like of people who are seeking to be possessed, if I can use that language, by God's future? What more are we called to? And I got into a back and forward with a, a dear friend who we've had on the podcast before, Mick Pope, who um, is a climate scientist as well as a theologian yesterday. And um, uh, Mick was... Uh, writing, dear far left, can we just have one day to celebrate? And um, I said, uh, from the far left, and I just sent him a, a kiss emoji. Um, <laughs> but he, um, but it, his, his point was like, actually, no, we do need, and we do need um, time uh, to celebrate. Uh, but jokingly, I responded, it, it's almost, um, we won't be satisfied until everybody can be satisfied, um, uh, that we won't quit until it, it's actually good news for everybody. I mean, to claim a story that not only believes in um, the Olem Haba or the, the, the kingdom that is coming, uh, God's new age, that, that God has a dream for all of creation, but to believe that it's broken in should make us hold these moments in ways um, that are kind of awkward, that, that do celebrate, but it's Rev Barber's um, joy in the morning Mm, yeah. um, and, and how do we get the joy in the morning right? Um, I'd love to hear from you both. What kind of encouragement um, and what kind of, Jono, I loved your answer earlier where you were um, talking about, um, and, and Drew, you picked up on this as well. How do we school ourselves? How, how do we get into a stream of a tradition to draw on um, uh, when we don't know what to say? Uh, the tradition itself is saying something and we're just finding our voice in that song. Um, what places are giving you hope that you are drawing from in this moment? And what encouragement do you have to others who, who are seeking to be faithful to a radical love um, uh, and make sure that the joy is there, um, but the joy leads to the kind of push that's needed instead of the passivity which um, uh, is required um, in some, some social circles? Um, yeah, I think for me, I think 
I mean, everyone knows, I think it's, it's no secret that I, I, my faith has, um, been shaped primarily from black church spaces and then multiracial urban Anabaptist communities. Like those are the two. And I've kind of hovered back and forth at different points in my life, mostly hovered back and forth in terms of adulthood, I guess, black church growing up, but hovered back and forth. And hopefully I think holding some tension of one foot in both communities um, for most um, of my adulthood. Um, and I think that I, I, there's something to like to talk about being part of a tradition, but then also like um, to be learning and seeing things from from other communities as well, I think is also really important for me. Like how do I um, open myself up to experience a particular moments from various vantage points, right? And experiences and lessons learned over time. Um, and so, I mean, that, that did allow me to do both of those things, allowed me to both, um, to, to have genuine celebration and joy in the moment, right? I did, I had, there was some joy. Um, there was also some deep discomfort, right? I was like, oh, we've, we're doing some Christian nationalism on the progressive side too, during this inauguration. Mm -hmm. huh? Like, mm -hmm. like I, anybody wanna call that out, right? It's getting kind of uncomfortable here. Um, yeah. with some of this and how do we, and so I do, I think there is that, like the, those tensions and um, recognizing, like, I don't know, one of the things that under, under this past administration that um, impacted me most in reshaping um, like how I've interacted and interpreted these moments was sitting at uh one of our free together meetings is local in Harrisburg. And we invited MILPA, which they do um, organizing work and local work for undocumented folks in our community. And so we had them come and they shared about the work that they're doing. And uh, Maria, one of the good friends, she was there and she brought someone along who they had been working with. And a few months in, um, she, we had her back as a guest to kind of share and the gentleman that she had brought, he was, he had been arrested in, um, like uh, ICE had arrested him and he'd been removed from his, from the community. And it just like hit me, like, like it does matter. Like, yeah, like it's easy. I think, I guess what I'm getting at, like, it's, it's, I have some friends who are like, it doesn't matter. They're all, it's all neoliberal, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, this is not liberation, right? So you take my words, but you could go a whole nother step and say, it doesn't matter at all. But it does matter. People's lives. That's true. Um, so there's something to be celebrating. And at the same time, like, if I take seriously human suffering and disproportionate human suffering, I also recognize that even as my life might get a little better and my neighborhood might get a little better from this administration, that doesn't necessarily mean that people all around the globe's lives are getting any less pressed, right? Like that, that so it's just so complex and yeah. there's so much deeper work to happen even here on the ground. And so anyway, I think all of those things allow me to have joy, but also encourage me to be like, it's time to push. Um, and it reminds me that, um, 
you know, as we'll go to um, Vincent Harding, there is a river, right? And mm -hmm. are we in this river? Are we participating? Um, and right now it seems like it's not just a trickle, it's flowing. Um, yeah. So are we gonna participate and flow with um, this struggle for liberation that has been going on for a very long time, but that God is doing something in our midst even right now? Oh, that's so good, Drew. And to, to bring it back to um, the, the biblical stories we've been playing with, um, it, it's not enough for Moses to leave Pharaoh's courts and just go hang out with some sheep in a different reality, right. um, saying that like Moses has to risk the call of God on his life to go back to the very courts that he once benefited from and yeah. to speak a word that actually might risk his life. That's right. Um, our Lord not only doesn't join the Sanhedrin, but he doesn't join the Essenes. He's right. not found out in the desert <clears throat> being a, a part of a holy huddle. He, he risks the kind of truth tell telling that leads to Calvary and crucifixion. Um, right. If we're not willing to actually be found in those places speaking truth, but there, there's constant temptations which come from that. Um, constant, like actually how to name the temptations um, to, to turn down the truth. Um, uh, to uh, allow it to be theory instead of praxis. Um, the, they're the ongoing tensions for, for all of us. Jono, in terms of um, your kind of thoughts, responses, what, what, is, um, uh, what is giving you the courage that we need to push right now? What streams are you swimming in? So good, uh, Drew. I, yeah, and Jared, thank you. I, you know, I kind of, well, a couple things I would say. I mean, one, I do want to acknowledge, I think this in terms of like how, you know, what, what kind of matters on the ground. I mean, um, this brought up already been here tonight in our chat, but I mean, the person that I love is, you know, one of those folks who's come out of an abusive relationship and she's one of the people who would say like yesterday felt like an escape from the trauma. And that's yeah. it's great. I think that is something that is worth, it's huge. It's absolutely worth celebrating that sense yeah. of, ooh, so nobody wants to take that sense of that kind of sigh of relief. That's uh, right. That's that's beautiful. Um, yeah. And so I, I do celebrate with people with that, but I think like in terms of like what's on the ground that's giving me hope and giving me life, um, you know, Drew, when you were talking about I'm thinking about this so much right now too, the, just the algorithms, just how determined so much of our lives are. People are constantly telling us what to think and where to go and where to shop. And I think at the end of the day, as much as pains me to say, I think most of the prophetic voices that we would most aspire to, that have most shaped us, they're never really going to dominate the algorithm. They're just not. They're not <laughs> going to have Nike ads. You know, they're not gonna, right. never going to be mainstream. The prophetic yeah. The true prophetic voices are always going to be on the outer edge. It's just how it is. And mm -hmm. so, especially at a time like now, it takes such intentionality <laughs> to choose your sources, to say, I'm going mm -hmm. to read these books. I'm going to listen to these sermons. Like, I'm going to be so intentional because the idea is that you just sort of like aimlessly wander around the internet and fumble. In. You're not going to fumble in to prophetic sources that are going to shape you in shape a radical life it's that does not happen by accident and i think now more so than ever before it takes such a conscientious like a really deliberate choice um that when we hear and i think you can tell the difference you can tell the difference in the tone and tenor of people who really heard from god there's an otherness to those kind of voices that's right I hear them then we have to be intentional to say I, i'm gonna make it a point 
to seek these voices out, to be intentional about listening to them on whatever mediums or platforms. And because if we don't, we will just kind of get sucked out with the tide. Um, mm. I think in terms of what, otherwise just what's given me um, a lot of life beyond, I'm not just saying this is a plug, uh, Subversive Seminary on Tuesday nights. I mean, uh, Jared, hey. it's, it's so awesome. It really is. It's, it's, it's a good time. Yeah. It's, it's so, it really is. It's such a, it, it's, it's just such an outpost for everything that's good and beautiful right now. I love it. But, I, you know, I, otherwise, and I want to say this in a way that I normally don't, because I think I'm afraid to brag on it, but I think I can brag on it because I am just so not responsible for how it has taken shape, really. These last couple years with the table, the-, the Yeah, the, talk about the table, Jono. Listen, y'all, it's honestly really badass. It just is. Yeah. I mean, these, <laughs> these amazing- Women of God, we're sad because uh, the Reverend Cece Jones Davis, she just moved to DC, but we're very connected. But then like, you know, with Malika and with Nicole and with Lance, it's just, I've never been part of something like, they're honestly, um, there really isn't hierarchy to it. It's, there's yeah. such this, this beautiful, this, this, forgive me, this sounds like too much, but it feels to me sometimes, I'm like, oh, this is like what that Trinitarian kind of like, there's such a sense of like everybody defers to each other and there's such a mutuality to it and it's beautiful. And I found so many times the last couple of years when I felt discouraged and wanted to give up and like, none of this does any good. And like, of course, you know, want to check out like or whatever, being grounded in that community, even through the, the weird ways that we have to try to stay connected uh, through the pandemic has just meant everything. I don't know how anybody can can thrive right now and certainly not be shaped in this kind of prophetic counter witness without being tethered to a community in some form. And if that's, that's online, exactly. great, but it's gotta be a consistent community in some form uh, of humans <laughs> where there's regular interaction and, and there's listening. Because I just think again, like I know for somebody like me, otherwise I just kind of get on the desert island in my head and go all kinds of places and it's just not good. But but being tethered to a community where I I believe in these people and I believe in what God's doing in their lives. And in the same way earlier, we were talking about the way that the text and the tradition can carry us. They carry me and 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 being part of each other alive, that, that carries me forward in so many ways. So I just think that real concrete connection to a community, there's no shaming here in terms of this, this has to be a church or like whatever, just some, some, some kind of a community of people that are committed to, to the common good in some way that, that tethers you to something outside of yourself, I think is mm. utterly necessary in this moment. Mm. Jono, that's, that's so great. And, um, the, the inspiration we've drawn here in, on Wajuk Noongabuja, um, known to most as Perth, Australia, um, with our table in the trees, which uh, um, uh, is a name people decided on before we started even exploring the connections between our, our communities. Um, uh, but the, the need for spaces which um, people can be formed um, in a Eucharistic uh, reality where Thanksgiving um, uh, is actually, I, I would love, um, since this episode is a little different, um, uh, talking Eucharistic realities and Thanksgiving and um, drawing on streams, I, I'd love to bring uh, Father Ken, who's uh, part of our, our larger Inverse community, actually in to talk a bit about his journey with drawing on um, the early church tradition and uh, that stream and how that's actually, Ken, can 
Can you talk a little bit about how um, uh, your thinking and your theology has been expanded by actually uh, um, learning from that great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us? Yes. Uh, I, you know, um, I love what Jonathan was saying about his experience at the table. Um, I'll just say that I think we can find community um, in a lots of places. It's not always good community. Um, and uh, the, the Eucharist establishes a community that, that is radically for everyone. Um, the church hasn't been good over 2000 years about this. And, you know, the Israel wasn't good about it before either. Everyone, <laughs> everyone wants to erect barriers to, uh, the table. Um, and we've been really good at it. I mean, you know, taking Paul's words and, um, about approaching the table and turning them into something that's fear based and, um, and so forth. But really, you know, Jesus is at a table with someone who's getting ready to betray him. And he's at a table with someone who is uh, going to deny him just hours later. Um, he's at a table with someone uh, who uh, doubts his resurrection. And he gives himself to everyone. Um, and uh, th this is my body. This is my blood. Um, I, I think uh, there's perfect love casts out fear. So we invite everyone uh, to the table where God literally wants to give himself to us. And... Um, so yes, I mean, it's, it's absolutely changed everything for me. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, that, that sense that when we're there in time, uh, all the cross, uh, resurrection, ascension, all these things that happen in the life of Jesus, the one human being, we're all incorporated into it. And there with us is, is the whole everyone gathered around the table mm. both both the the living and the dead um uh, changes everything doesn't it yeah it brings heaven and earth together it, it, it all the things that separate us yeah um, even life and death uh yeah. cannot be separated by the table um and i just love that moment in places in the heart the wonderful film uh from you know 30 40 years ago that uh, you know the last scene and they're in this little you know Methodist Church, and uh, they're passing the the grape juice and the, the 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 crackers around. You know, and everyone in the film, whether they died in the process of the story or not, um, are there together. Whether they were people that were like going to that church or not, and just everybody is there in that setting, singing, receiving Christ. Reconciliation is occurring, and so forth and so on. So, and and, and uh, so, we're we're missing something vital when we don't have that at the center. So. Yeah, and I think Father Ken, and what I appreciate so much of what you're sharing is that um, you know during this ecological crisis, um, where there is so much work to undo white supremacy, and there is a clock ticking that um, this work in terms of um, reorganizing our nations economically. Um, uh, there is actually a stop clock. The 
there is an eschatological importance to beauty in the way that we worship. And I love that you um, draw us to that, um, that there is a, a need for um, uh, film and art and music uh, for our communities uh, to be places where we're moved by wonder and awe so that um, our lament is real and our compassion is the fruits of that lament um, uh, rather than it being something that's manufactured. Um, I, I love that so much. That our imagination gets expanded, um, where where we we hear the trees clapping their hands, we mm. hear the stars shouting um, the praise of God, um, uh, and and we hear the, um, the the wings of the seraphim, um, mm. and uh, at the same time, uh, those of us with dirt under our fingernails and uh, uh, wrong thoughts in our heads, and uh, you know, and, and all kinds of confusion. Um, are allowed um, it's it, to, to join it's not for the well it's, it's not for those who are well it's for the mm. sick um, you know uh, That's so so I, I mean you know I could talk about this for I'm just going to put myself on mute again because I could talk about <laughs> it a long time and um, a reminder for people that as well as um, uh, inverses expressions in terms of subversive um, seminary and uh, liberating Sunday school, that uh, Father Ken with friends of ours like um, uh, Brad Zerzak um, are providing an amazing teaching opportunity um, through the book of John uh, with Father John. Did you want to quickly mention that as a stream that people can um, swim in? Absolutely. Um, we can uh, go to some other people. Yeah, really quickly, chapter, we're, we're, we're in chapter 16 next Wednesday. Um, we have about 500 plus students and um, the, uh, the live version of it is only really attended by about 100, but you can get signed up for the videos, which are put up just a few days later. And we've done 15 chapters of the Gospel of John with John Baer, who's probably the best, really the best scholar in the world on the first Christians. And then um, Cherith Nordling, who's uh, Gordon Fee's mm -hmm. daughter. Uh, Judy Can Julie Canlis is part of that. Chris Green has been a guest on that. We have um, uh, Brad Jersak and Paul Young, author of The Shack. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful group. And I think it's the first time, really, that a gospel has been ta team taught um, as a study um, in, a, in a seminary setting. Um, and so it's really a lot of fun. And we're going to be doing uh, the Book of Revelation in the fall. So um, Come on now. Yeah, we're excited about it. Well, we we might need a plot and plan around that. That's that's exciting. So, friends, there's there's another resource for people who are looking for um, beauty to sustain their activism in this moment. Um, I want to go to our dear sister Julie, who, as well as being an amazing uh, worship leader, also happens to be um, inverse DJ, mixing all our episodes. Um, Julie, what streams are you swimming in that are giving you life at the moment that you want to offer to others who are still listening? Guys, I'm on um, Darug country and Garinga country, depending on where you stroll around. My part's in the north of Sydney. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful summer day here today. Um, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. Father Ken is such a gift to me. Um, as he was talking about the Eucharist and the table, um, I've learnt a lot through the Open Table Conference and Father John Bear and Orthodoxy about how time is a veil and it's a very thin veil. And when you take away 
the time piece that you have, that everything has to be chronological and progressive and the cross becomes the centre, mm. um, everything changes. So I, I have different wells that I draw from now. I have my personal liturgy and my father died in 2011. He was my spiritual hero. Um, and, and, and this way of thinking has made it okay for me to reconnect with his spirit. Um, that sounds yeah, super yeah. new age and my evangelical people will be freaking out by me saying that. <laughs> um, and, and, um, but that cloud of witnesses is there. Um, that personal liturgy, I'm writing an album at the moment. Um, it's called The Temple Fell Down, But the Trees Still Stand. Mm. Looking at metaphor around trees and temples and things around this and our um, inverse community is a, a well I draw from where I listen and learn and get inspired. I'm part of a big mega church in Sydney, like multi-site location where I agitate and people get annoyed with me, but that's okay. Um, and then, uh, like I said, the open table community, like a 29 week study on the book of John is, we all need, like you could study that book for years, but it's, and um, yeah, so, so a bunch of different places and I'm learning to be okay with that. Cause I think I used to try and find everything in my weekly Sunday church. And um, I'm just accepting more and more that that it's okay for my spiritual and, and, and my physical life not, not to necessarily need that one spot. Thanks, Julie. Um, uh, we've never done this before. I'm really enjoying like combining the sense of the inverse community with, with an interview. Um, maybe we'll just do like one or two more. I might pick on um, Pastor Josh uh, in, in Kansas City. But what streams are you flowing in at the moment that uh, is helping you speak the truth and uh, embody um, uh, this compassion in community? Mm. Well, unlike Julie, I'm sitting in Kansas City, Missouri, found on the map. It's not warm, it's cold, and I'm in my garage. Um, and uh, I'm on um, Kickapoo, Osage, Ocho, uh, Oto, and Missouri people's lands here in Kansas City. Um, I think that practice um, has become pretty life-giving uh, mm. for our church. Josh, can you imagine if they did that at the inauguration? Right. Can you imagine the kind of confession that actually like an acknowledgement of country and yeah. the, the land wasn't discovered, it was stolen, and right. that um, uh, the, the evils of white supremacy didn't start with slavery but actually started with uh, land theft and genocide of first peoples. Yeah. That kind of confession, that would have stopped some religious nationalism creeping yeah. in um, unless it was in the form of actually like repenting of the sins of those who've gone before us. That would have been incredible. Yeah, it's powerful. And, um, you know, I, I had you kind of guest speak for our church uh, in late November and, and we talked a bit about that uh, during that service, but um you know, I, I said on that, I, I blame you for that, because as I as I entered in the the first my first inverse uh, book study in um, in March, I think, of 2020, I didn't know what whose land I was on. 
Mm -hmm. um, and the, the good work of having to find that out and do, do, the, do the work, do the research. That was very difficult to find because honestly, there just isn't a lot of clear cut information regarding the land that I'm on. And um, which is revealing in and of itself. Um, and so, uh, so that work, confessing the land, we, we do it every Sunday now. Uh, at the Mate, moment, that is phenomenal. I preach. I know um, so few churches. Drew, do you know many churches that do that each no, Sunday? Not a as lot. Part of their... not Jonah? A lot. That's incredible. Yeah. There's so few churches, Josh, that actually do that. That's amazing, man. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not long, but it's, it's a simple practice that we can do um, that continues to form us. And, and I, I, I've done some, a bit more research on that and, you know, the encouragement of not expressing as if those, those peoples did exist in the past, that they, they do exist now. Um, and not to say that, that they've, they're gone, but they say they're, they're communities that are still around and alive and, and conversations and, and uh, things that need to happen now still. Um, so so that's, a, that's a huge practice that we've started doing as a church um, but then, you know, I, I totally echo what Julie and Father Ken are saying about the Book of John study for Open Table. I've been a part of that since it started this uh, in September, I think it was. And every week you just kind of go, next week couldn't be better. And then somehow it, it always ends up being just incredible. Um, so, and obviously, uh, Jared and Drew with Inverse Podcast, the conversations you all are, are hosting and creating space for people to to share um, are powerful. Those are powerful stories. Uh, John as well, Zeitcast. Um, I love listening to um, sort of become a mutual friend, um, Johnny Clark with Guardians yeah. of the Flame. Come on now. Um, that's that's um, hearing more stories um, talking about peacemaking. Um, especially in the Northern Ireland um, and Ireland uh, context, and to hear <laughs> to hear those stories of people who who li who lived through um, the troubles, um, who are still dealing with the realities of of that world now, um, are is powerful. And so, I also get a, I guess maybe get a little bit um, masochistic and listen to terrible preaching that happens in my city as well um <laughs> speaking of the book of revelation um <laughs> and uh that so somehow that brings me life as well because um <laughs> it's like wow this is terrible and it's but it's said sad it's sad terrible and and funny at the same time um so that's maybe not a healthy practice that i should be doing but yeah confession is the road to healing josh it's good that's right <laughs> um sister carla um maybe we will end our time i'm just looking at the time we, we should probably close this out some of you good people need to go to bed um but uh we, we would love to hear from you what what are the streams that are encouraged i know that um you and i often attend uh uh Trinity United Church of Christ on the south side of Chicago together um, uh, via, via Zoom. Uh, but what other streams are encouraging you? 
Yeah, absolutely. I would say um, absolutely um, the Embers Seminary um, community that we have throughout the, you know, every week. Um, just listening to uh, women of color has just really changed um, so much in my life. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, just from the way that I see myself, the way that I see others, um, just the value um, that has been shown um, in a very active way, not just in words, you know, and um, that has been mind-blowing to me, just even like looking at the last year, um, seeing the growth in my own, in my own heart, I think, um, not only theologically, because I, I do love theology, but I honestly think, and I don't know how this is possible because some of you know me and I'm just like all left there all the time, but I generally <laughs> think that I've grown in joy, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> um, and just uh, being able to learn uh, from people from around the world. And um, another thing that has been uh, really, just really hopeful to me has been uh, dancing um, <laughs> because, yeah. um, you know, it's like that, um, I love, um, I've been learning a lot about the embodiment of who God is. And yeah. I think in being in my body, that has been really incredible um, to be aware of movement, to be aware of where I am. And it makes me think of the land, um, which makes me think yes. of the indigenous people of this land. And so, you know, like everything, it just reminds me of the interconnectedness that we have to each other. Um, so I do, I, that's something that I've been practicing is just dancing and it's not, you know, I can do like traditional dancing, but, um, it's just for fun, <laughs> you know? Um, and of course, um, reading, I am a big reader. So, um, I have attempted to start reading nonfiction or fiction, but it's not working. So I'm going to go back to nonfiction, um, <laughs> and just keep reading <laughs> from women of color. <laughs> Carla, that's so awesome. And I know we've been talking about vegetarians at the barbecue, but this has felt like a community cookout. Well, maybe we should do this on a semi-regular, but like that once a month, we just have an episode where uh, uh, we hear from invoice listeners and open it up some. But this has been great. Thanks, yeah. Jono. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, yeah, this has been very good. You know, the one thing that's been sitting, um, Jonathan, you mentioned at one point about people don't, in the conversation around algorithm stuff, people don't just stumble into, you know, something liberative. And it just hit me. I would just, I don't know why I just, I was thinking about, cause you know, I tell the story in, in trouble I've seen about like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and stuff, but I mean, the, the, the magic of the story, the, the beauty of the story is Frank Fisher. Right. Um, and it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer is not going to stumble into Abyssinian Baptist Church, right? He doesn't stumble his way. He has no plans of going that way, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he's got Frank Fisher in his life. He has a guide, right? Um, and it just kind of reminding me just how important, along with obviously us needing to yield to the spirit, but we can also be Frank Fisher for others, or some oh. of us need to be looking for a Frank Fisher in our own lives, right? It's because yeah. we are groping <laughs> endlessly. Um, and so anyway, I just a reminder, even in the moments, um, as we think about, you know, just that we do see dimly right now, but um, there are guides available to us if we would only trust some of the guides available to us that we haven't before. So, but Jonathan, can you, can you um, close us out in prayer? Can you just wrap up our time together in the presence of God. 
I'd love to. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I love you guys. I'm grateful for this space and just grateful, Drew, uh, Jared. You uh, just what a beautiful time. Mm. So let's just before we even pray, take just a moment, and even as we talk some tonight about kind of processing some of the things that we're feeling and wherever you're even listening right now. Just to just to be where you are, and whether or not right now there needs to be, if there's a sense, if there is a deep exhale, if there is a sense of release or of relief, to feel that joy or that or that gratitude, if there's anxiety or tension, to feel that too, but just to just to really gather all of it and, and bring our whole selves into the presence of the one who loves us. So God, I just thank you for the gift of this community. I thank you for my friends, uh, Jared, who's loved me faithfully for years. What a gift his friendship has been. Drew is a newer friend who's just brought so much revelation into my life. Now this whole, this whole community that we have together, we don't take any of this for granted. And we don't take for granted, that even as we talk about these gods and these prophets, that the same voice that whispered to them, that same spirit is available to us and loves us and rests on us now. So God, I just pray that wherever right now that we need comfort, we welcome the comfort of the spirit, wherever we need still some further prodding and conviction, we, we trust you because we know that uh, your conviction always brings goodness and gentleness and tenderness. So we, we welcome conviction, we welcome change. And God, for those among us who are still looking for those, for those gods, or need to step up to be these kinds of gods. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and ears so that when we really were able to discern your voice through others and to follow those voices, to listen well, but also uh, when you give us an opportunity to, 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 to be that voice for someone else, uh, we just, we wanna be, we do wanna be available Thank you that we're part of a larger story that is in fact pulling us forward. And we're thankful God that even now uh, through all the forwards and backwards that your work of revolution, your work of liberation is coming to bear in the world and it will move forward until that day in which your kingdom comes and your will is done and um, all is made right. So until that time, once again, uh, we just take everything that's unresolved and we hand it back over and we trust you. And we thank you for the gift of these friends that we trust that help us to carry the load. In your Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, dear friends. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. 
And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.